Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of What Does the Bible Say About? Today we're going to be looking at the question of the problem of evil. What does the Bible say about evil? Or more particularly, how can there be evil in the world if God is good and God is all-powerful? This is a common objection that philosophers, uh, usually unbelieving philosophers, will give to Christianity and more particularly to the existence of God. They will say, if God is good and God is all-powerful, then there's no way to explain the presence of evil. If evil exists, then either God is not really good or else he is not really all-powerful. So how are we able to put these uh, three ideas together, that there is in fact evil in the world, we know that to be true, and yet the scriptures also do teach that God is good, and the scriptures also teach that God is all-powerful. Now, one of the ways Christians will sometimes try to solve this problem is by introducing the concept of free will. And this is really a way to limit God in terms of his all-powerful nature. So they'll say something like, you know, God is all-powerful in general. But when it comes to to the human will, uh, God has left humans to themselves to choose what is good for themselves. And in this way, uh, evil has the potential of coming into the world because God has, in, in some sense, imposed a kind of limitation on himself by allowing humans uh, to choose good or evil. And since some will choose evil, or that at the beginning with Adam there was the choice of evil, so evil has entered into the world. Now, there are a number of problems with this way of trying to solve the problem. Uh, And really, the the main one comes down to the the relationship between uh, the freedom of the will and uh, God's all-powerful nature, and particularly with regard to his sovereignty, the interaction between the sovereignty of God uh, and the freedom of man's will. Now, when we speak of the freedom of the will, there are a number of, a couple of different things that could be meant that we need to keep in mind, particularly with regard to this question. Uh, there is a sense in which, even in reform circles, even a, a Calvinist who will who would speak of predestination and the sovereignty of God, there is a sense in which he can still affirm a kind of freedom of the will. This, for instance, is what's described in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 9, section 1. There is a freedom of the will in terms of being free from compulsion, and man always has this freedom in in this sense. And in this sense, then, we would affirm that man has free will in a philosophical way, contrary to what a a philosopher may speak of as determinism. We, We don't believe in determinism in the philosophical sense that man does have a freedom to choose whereby he is not compelled uh, uh, to, uh, to a particular given choice by something external to himself. Uh, man is not, is not compelled contrary to his will for certain things. There, there is a, a natural freedom to the, of, to the will uh, in that sense. When theologically we speak of the bondage of the will, what we're saying is that, is that man is bound to his own nature, and man's nature is in itself uh, evil or sinful apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, such that without uh, God's Uh, work to change the nature, man will always freely choose, so there's the freedom of the will, man will freely choose to do what is wrong. Um, So there's there's that caveat to keep in mind as we discuss uh, the relationship between the freedom of the will and God's sovereignty. Now, another thing that the scriptures clearly teach is that God's sovereignty is a truth, and the freedom of the will expressed, as I said, in terms of uh, man has the ability to choose, though it's bound, he's bound by his own 
nature, uh, that these two things actually still exist together, such that uh, the ability of man to choose something, um, his his very real choice to choose between good or evil, has really no bearing on um, God's power. And in that sense, it's really not a way to solve the problem. God is sovereign, and he's even sovereign over the will of man as it's considered free, and uh, that, and in this way, it doesn't help us solve the presence of evil. God uh, can be sovereign and prevent evil, uh, even though man has a kind of freedom of the will. And so we don't need to look for a solution down this avenue. Um, we, we would affirm that man has a kind of free will, though it's bound by he's bound by his own nature. If it's a sinful nature, he's bound to sin. Um, but God, man's freedom of the will, in this sense, does not bind God such that he is no longer all-powerful. So it still remains true even with uh, the idea of the human will that God is good, God is all-powerful, and yet uh, and yet, there is, in fact, evil in the world. So how is it then that we can account for the presence of evil in the world? Well, I think uh, 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 an important uh, thing to keep in mind is uh, two things, really. Uh, one is the way in which God um, brings about evil in the world or, or the way in which evil happens in relationship to God's actions. And then secondly, the end for which evil occurs in the world. So that we'll take these two things in turn. Uh, first, uh, if we were to say, is God the author of evil? Uh, the answer would be no, he, does, he is not the author of evil. And yet we would say that God is in some sense the first cause of evil in the sense that uh, from all eternity, God decreed all things that are that were going to happen, and one of those things was evil. And without God's decree, there would be no evil in the world. And so we can we we can say that God is uh, the first cause of evil, but invoking this kind of scholastic distinction, He is not the efficient cause of evil. That is to say, if we th- think of something like uh, a murder, uh, the murder will fall under. The sovereignty of God. God's the one that decreed it in this sense. However, he did not pull the trigger. And in this sense, he is not guilty of the evil which in fact happens. And if we look even a bit closer into how it is that God in some sense brings about the fulfillment of his eternal decree, this will even become more plain in terms of the way in which God uh, brings about the, the evil that was decreed in eternity. Uh, and that is really by, in some sense, removing himself. We get, we get this, this picture uh, pretty clearly in Romans chapter 1, where God is the one who upholds all things uh, that are good. And the way in which God gives people over to evil is by removing himself. Uh, and in this sense, then, it's, God cannot be charged with evil in any sense, because uh, really the, the occurrence of evil uh, is even a manifestation of his own goodness because it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that without God, things go into evil. When God is there and present and upholding all things, uh, then things remain good. And when he removes himself, that is when evil begins to flourish. So God in Romans chapter one, hands people over to their own sins. He basically just abandons them and lets them go um, their own way. Uh, and so if we go back to the the uh, the idea of like a, a murder happening, God in some sense decrees it from all eternity. That is to say it happens because God in his, his sovereign will has decreed it. Uh, and yet the way in which he, in some sense, caused it to happen was by removing himself 
such that then the one who does the murdering is able to act in accordance with his own sinful nature. And so in this way, uh, God is God is not to blame, and he is not the author in this sense of evil. He is the first cause of evil, but he is not the efficient cause of evil. The way in which the evil is done is, in a sense, in, in terms of the absence of God or God uh, allowing sovereignly, sovereignly allowing uh, one to go his own way. Now, the second thing that we need to keep in mind is the end for which uh, for which God allows these things or permits these things or even orchestrates these things. Uh, he does it for holy and good ends. And so not only is it the case that uh, God is the first cause and yet he is not the author of sin, but even as he sovereignly governs all sin as the first cause of it, he is always doing it to a good ends that reveal his own holy, good, and true purposes. And so uh, a great example of this is uh, the way in which God used the Assyrians in Isaiah chapter 10. As he describes uh, he how he used this these uh, this wicked nation to judge his own people. And he said they were like an axe in his hand. And he says at the beginning of the passage that they did not so understand, they did not so think. It's something similar said of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar when they came against the southern kingdom. They believed that they were just acting out of their own you know, ruthless violence to overcome another people. They believed this was a triumph of their gods over all of the other gods. They were acting wickedly and would rightfully be judged and were rightfully judged for their wickedness. Uh, and yet God was using that same act for good and holy ends. And so even God's involvement, it's not even just that the, that the way in which the evil happens is done in such a way that God is not the one doing it, but also he sovereignly rules over it as the, as the one who did in fact, is in fact the first cause of it. He sovereignly rules over it for good and holy ends. In such a way then that we can say that God is good, God is all powerful, and the way in which he relates to evil is that he sovereignly rules over it. He is not the one that actually does it so he cannot be charged with evil and in his great power and in his great goodness he uses it for good and holy ends and so in this way he it's uh, a lot like you know the uh, the use of an axe which is the, the metaphor that's used in Isaiah chapter 10 uh, an axe can be very dangerous and um, and in some ways it can do a lot of, of damage but God uses it as a tool to do something good and this is the way all evil uh, works in this world. God is the first cause of it in the sense of he's the one that created from eternity. He is not the one who does it, but he sovereignly uses it for his own good and holy ends. And so um, in some sense, then we, if we were to ask then why, why is there evil in this world? Uh, the answer would be very simply for the sake of the manifestation of the glory and goodness of God, which is the purpose of all creation. And so what we could then say in terms of um, these, these three ideas that God is good, God uh, is uh, all powerful, and yet there's evil in the world. Um, we can also add a couple more statements. We can say that uh, God is using evil uh, for the sake of the manifestation of his own glory. And even further, that evil is related to humankind. We are sinners, and yet God is even using the, the presence of sin for the sake of saving some uh some people to the praise of his glorious grace to the full manifestation uh, of his own glory and so in this way um, god uh, is not the the author of evil he does sovereignly rule over it and uh, it can and is true that god is good god is all-powerful and yet evil exists though because god is good and all-powerful evil will not win uh, in the end so hopefully you have uh, found this helpful 
We'll tackle another question next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast as it will help out our uh, podcast channel and make the teachings of the Word of God more widely available. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find out more at our website at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com.